you know, getting down to brass tacks here, something isn't going to help you or work unless you put an effort in, unless you make a commitment. And that's hard. And so one thing you have to realize that there's going to be days when you're really not going to feel like sitting down and doing this and that you're going to try and make yourself do it anyway, because you know it's going to help you. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us for Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. We are really glad you're with us here today. And I am thrilled to have Dr. Antonia Stephen from MGH in Boston. She's a professor at Harvard, a surgeon who specializes in thyroid surgeries. And she is also somebody who has become a champion for meditation and mindfulness as a way to help physicians improve their practice and their life. And so today, Apple, Antonia goes by Apple, we're going to be talking a little bit about, I think, one of the biggest obstacles for the physicians that I work with and have been working with for the last 10 years to beginning or to continuing a meditation or mindfulness practice, which is just, oh, I just don't have time to do it. There's just not enough time to be able to have this happen. So we're going to talk about ways to sort of lower that obstacle and make it more achievable for physicians to be able to begin to have a meditation and mindfulness practice. Now, in previous conversations, we've talked about this thing in human behavior called the knowing-doing gap, right? We know we should do it. We know we're supposed to eat healthy. We know we're supposed to exercise. We know now there's so much great data about how meditation helps us be more present, relaxed, focused, research that we've talked about in previous conversations about how it improves the quality of even technical work of surgeons. It's just all great stuff. But then there's that thing of actually doing it. <laughs> so I want to just hear from you. What's one thing that you know that you've seen help either yourself or colleagues be able to get started in meditation or mindfulness? What's something that you believe people need to know about being able to get started in this process? So thank you, Jill. And, and you're really asking with this broader question of finding the time to actually do it and stick with it was really the million dollar question because we can learn about it all we want. and it Sounds really good and all that, but to really see the benefit and make it happen, you absolutely need to start a regular practice. And it's really, really hard. It's hard when you're busy. It's hard when you have a million other things that you feel like you should be doing. So I would say that the number one thing, which we touched on, a little bit in our prior podcast is to start small, start really small, five minutes. Mm -hmm. What if you challenged yourself to do five minutes once a week? It sounds so absurdly small mm -hmm. that it kind of is almost silly not to do it. But I think setting a, a just a really small goal and then having somewhat of a plan to keep you on task with it, a, a small journal, a little reminder on your phone. I would say the second thing, and these are now really relatively new things, meditation and mindfulness has been around for a while, but having an app on your phone and having a guided meditation where you fire up the app, it's 10 minutes, it's five minutes, it's whatever you know it is. And that way it's sort of all set up for you that you don't have to worry about sort of setting your own timer. You don't have to worry about kind of trying to keep yourself on task because somebody is there sort of helping you do that. So I would say that those are two of the things that I think are most helpful for busy people when they're starting this type of practice is number one, start really small, mm -hmm. have some accountability, an mm -hmm. accountability system, and download an app on your phone. Yeah, I love those. Those are things that I can't agree with any more. And I love that you said, you know, anybody who's heard me talk, hears me talk about those ridiculously easy steps. How often when we think we need to be doing something and they're especially physicians who can be incredibly hard on themselves. So when they know they should be doing something and that knowing and doing gap is there, 
they often try to beat themselves up into doing something new, you know, when we can kind of reverse that pattern. And instead of trying to force or grind your way into this new habit, which is of course very ingrained for anybody who's had the grind of medical (laughs) training. I mean, that's kind of how it goes. That's the pattern to say, wait, how can I make this easier for myself? And I love that five minutes a week. I've had physician clients that I invited to set a timer for one minute in the morning to count their breaths and to try to do that five days in a row, or and then to add one minute in the morning and one minute in the afternoon. And then you kind of add week by week, you add a minute at a time and just simply sitting and counting your breaths. And that's a really good way to do it. In terms of apps, I love the Headspace app. I think it's a really helpful one. There's one called 10% Happier that Dan Harris, who's a guy who was a cynical journalist who absolutely did not believe in meditation or mindfulness that kind of had his own journey of awakening. Uh, he's a anchor on ABC News. He has this book and then this app. My dog is appreciating that that's a good app here as well, I think. (laughs) He's joined us for our talk today. And so those are two really good ways. And then the other one I want to say is on YouTube, there's all kinds of great free videos for people that even are really great guided meditations. So that if you're like, I don't even know where to start, somebody who does this for a living or knows a lot about it will walk you through, you just listen. And you just let your brain listen and stay focused to listening on these short guided meditations on YouTube that are just there for the taking. Those can be a really good way for somebody to start who hasn't been there before too. So yeah, I'm riffing off your great ideas (laughs) because I think it's just such such an important thing. How have you, as a very busy physician, the mother of three teenagers and heading up this wellness initiative for surgeons at MGH and Harvard and being a professor and then doing all kinds of surgeries every day as well. How have you been able to continue meditating in your own life? And what does your meditation practice look like? How long do you do it for every day, for instance, Apple? Yeah. So that's a great question. So one of the things that you brought up Dan Harris's 10% Happier app, and one of the, the recommendations that Dan Harris had about starting a meditation practice is that you should do it daily ish. So the ish is the part that takes the perfectionism and the, the sort of rigidness out of it. But you know, getting down to brass tacks here, something isn't going to help you or work unless you put an effort in, unless you make a commitment. And that's hard. And so one thing you have to realize that there's going to be days when you're really not going to feel like sitting down and doing this and that you're going to try and make yourself do it anyway, because you know, it's going to help you. So I'll tell you what I do. And then I'll explain the parts of it that I've found to be conducive to its success. I meditate every morning, daily-ish, shall we say. So if I happen to have a really, really early meeting and I wake up 15 minutes before that meeting, do I do it that morning? No, I don't. And that's okay. And I know that that will be okay. So there's no real falling off the wagon. As one of the residents I work with on this said, we're all delinquent meditators, but we're meditators. So I, every morning, and one of the things that I've done, and this is actually connected to some of the advice in your book, Jill, is that I tied it to number one, a routine which is my morning coffee. And I tied it to a routine that I really love. So I really enjoy my morning coffee. I enjoy the taste of it. I enjoy the smell of it. I enjoy the routine of it. And so putting those two things together for me made this just a really nice and fun thing to do. And that made it way more likely for me to do it. And I think someone once asked me, well, you know, you're meditating. You're supposed to be sitting there concentrating and breathing. What do you mean you're drinking coffee? And I was like, well, I'm drinking coffee and I'm meditating. So once again, getting down to the fact that it's really the way you want to do it and what works best for you. So I think that having it at the same time each day 
tying it to a habit and making it a pleasant experience that I look forward to. And you combine that with the fact that it's okay to miss it. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the magic recipe for me. I also think that having these apps, as you have pointed out, is really important because not only do you sit and meditate, but you also hear a little blurb or a little talk or a little lecture or a little conversation about what this means and how it's going to help you. And what that does as an intellectual person, which most of us or many of us are, is that it engages your mind in the fact that this is going to be a benefit to you. And once again, if you hear something convincing, a convincing conversation that Dan Harris is having with one of his guests meditation teachers or a small lecture by Andy on Headspace that that's going to sort of draw you into the fact that this is really, really going to help you. And if you believe in that, then you're going to be way more likely to do it and stick with it. Absolutely. I love that. And I come to this as a big skeptic. I just was somebody who always liked to move fast. I was like, meditation is fine for people who want to slow down or have time to do that, but I do not. And so I love what you said about a, just kind of being willing to recognize that, you know, there's going to be days you don't feel like it, but the benefit of improving your cognitive ability long-term, I mean, that's important for a physician and for all of us in our life to want to be able to do that. It's worth the discomfort of sometimes feeling like you don't want to do it. And you're often going to feel like you don't want to do it, right? You're when your brain is under pressure or stress, you're going to have all kinds of stories about why jumping into action is more important than taking the time to slow down. But when people say that to me, I always use that Dalai Lama quote. He would say, I meditate for an hour a day, except for in my busiest, busiest days. And then I meditate for two hours a day. So it was kind of this turning that now you and I don't meditate for an hour or two hours a day. It's about 10 minutes ish, right? There's also great information out there for people who are interested on walking meditation. So if you're somebody that has trouble sitting still, you can look into the ideas of walking meditation. You can look into the information about, you know, forest bathing, which is just sort of sitting in nature and observing and using your five senses to observe and how that's a form of meditation that also can have some benefits on your brain. Can you just give us the simplest explanation of the difference between meditation and mindfulness and how those two things are either different or similar to each other? Yeah, that's a great question. So mindfulness is really the ability to be present in the moment of being here, not in the runaway train mind, not in the past, thinking about what happened yesterday and what you would have said differently not thinking about your plans for the future, not thinking about all the things that you have to get done, not thinking about how angry you are at your colleague or a family member. It's actually just being, and sometimes being present isn't feeling angry or whatever it is, but you're here, you're here in the moment. And when you're that, you really can be anywhere but caught up in your thoughts. So you can feel your toes, you can feel your breath, you can listen to the person in front of you and look at them. You can hear the sounds coming from outside. So that's really being mindful. To be mindful, that's the practice. And that's the meditation practice. So the way that it has been put to me, and, and this was actually directly from John Kabatson, is that, you know, obviously being present is and being focused is a great thing. We all want to do that. We think that's great. But just calling upon yourself to do that when the stakes are high and when the pressure's on and when you're tired or sleep deprived or stressed or, or feeling threatened in any way, that it's too strong. You're not going to be able to do it. And by sitting and practicing meditation, so meditation is the practice so that you can be mindful, that you actually are forming new neural pathways in your brain that are going to allow you to be mindful throughout your day. 
and throughout your life. Another way I've heard it described, which I absolutely love, is that our brain has ruts and we fall into those ruts because they've been there for many, many years, you know, and we've formed them over time. And to try to climb out of those ruts can be very difficult and even demoralizing and discouraging, frustrating. So you have to form new ruts. And those are the new neural pathways that you're forming when you're practicing meditation for those 10 minutes, for those 20 minutes, or for whatever it is for that one minute. Mm-hmm. And then those new ruts are there for when the time gets tough. Yeah. The things I hear from my physician clients, coaching clients who are willing to try to just introduce even in the tiniest steps that they find themselves able to stay calmer in challenging situations, to think a little less reactively in places where they're trying to crack a puzzle or figure out something that's challenging to them. And those are really powerful impacts. And so I've just come to really believe that for my physician clients to be able to include this in their life is important. What I didn't realize when somebody said, first of all, mindfulness is being here now. And I was like, well, I'm here now, where else would I be? But it turns out (laughs) our brains are not here with us a lot of the time. We're projecting forward scary stories often, right? There's fear or threat stories about things that haven't even happened, or we're ruminating backwards about things that have happened that we can't really change. But our brain is really ping-ponging between those two places. And so the practice of mindfulness, of bringing us here now is really important because we're wasting a lot of our brain energy going forward and backwards in ways that aren't really solving a problem or enhancing or creating or innovating now, which is where I think the magic happens for all of us in our work and life or relating, right? We're not relating to other people real well often when our brain is projecting into scary stories or thinking about things that have happened in the past. So I like that benefit of being able to be together as well. So I think Apple and I are going to challenge all of you who are listening (laughs) to consider if you have a meditation practice or a meditation-ish practice, hallelujah, great. If you have been thinking about it and want to start trying it, we want to invite you to just give it a minute a day or five minutes a week. Start with that and expect some discomfort, right? Apple, when you first start doing this, it's a little uncomfortable because your brain starts to kind of race up in speed and you're actually paying attention to that craziness sometimes that's happening inside our head. So that's okay if it's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And not used to be, Jill, still is. I I like to tell people that sitting down for 10 minutes and doing this is every single time a struggle. And one of the most important things for people who are starting off in meditation and learning about it is to understand is that your brain is not going to be a blank. It's not meant to be a blank. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be, and it's trying to be the runaway train that it always has been. And the practice of meditation during the 10 minutes is really just to draw yourself back sometimes once, sometimes twice, sometimes a million times. But I recently told a group of residents who I was teaching about meditation that if you sit down for 10 minutes and your mind is a runaway train and once, once during that 10 minutes, you draw yourself back to the present moment that you've done something that you don't usually do and that's going to make a difference. And usually you find that you draw yourself back more than once. But even if you just do it once, I like to say you won the game. Yeah. And you're developing a new neural pathway in your brain or, you know, strengthening a muscle that hasn't been there before. And one of the things when it comes to mindfulness, a lot of times I'll encourage people to do is to, when you begin that practice of being here now in the moments when you're not sitting down and meditating through your life in the morning 
sitting down and meditating for those few minutes that you set aside. But when you were just living your life to bring yourself back to the present moment, feel your feet on the ground, take one wrist and gently hug it. Just wrap your one hand around one of your wrists and take a breath. That brings you back. There's a soothing that happens to your nervous system when you do that. Put both hands on your heart. They're very simple ways to bring yourself back, but I've shared this with colleagues, including one of your colleagues that reached out to me during the COVID crisis and said, I can't tell you how many times just pausing and wrapping one hand around my wrist or putting my hands on my heart and taking a couple of breaths changed the way I was behaving or reacting in a highly pressurized situation here at my work at the hospital. And so that's, you know, something to keep in mind that we can just add these, we can be willing to sit with the fact that it's going to be a little uncomfortable, just like, you know, any kind of new form of exercise is, but recognize that the benefits that it can be very simple and the benefits can be really big. Dr. Antonia Apple-Steven, you have just inspired so many people with your passion and message around adding meditation and mindfulness to their practice. It was an honor to be able to have these conversations with you. For those of you just tuning into this podcast, make sure you check out a couple of other conversations that Apple and I had about uh, meditation and mindfulness, some of the new research that shows how it benefits physicians. There's just a lot of great info there that we want you to tune into. And we want to challenge you to add some form of meditation and mindfulness, no matter how tiny to your life and practice. But until then, we can't wait to see you next time on Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Amanda Taran. I'm the producer of the Doc Working Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like and subscribe. We would also love it if you checked out our website, which is docworking.com. And you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. On Instagram, we are docworking1, and that is with the number 1. When you check us out on social, please let us know what you would like to hear on the podcast. Your feedback really means a lot to us. And if you're a physician with a story you'd like to tell, please reach out to me at amanda at docworking.com to apply to be on the podcast. Thank you again, and we look forward to talking with you on the next episode of Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast.